Okay, Erev Tov, everyone. We are, this week is Parshas Matos and Mase. Plan on being in Shul for a long time this Shabbos, because both Parshas are over 100 Psukim. And it's also Mavarchin Chodesh Menachemav, so that take makes davening goes a long, little bit longer. So we put the kiddish time at eleven thirty. <laughs> and Menachem's uh, brother-in-law is coming. Hazan Achisar. So that's going to be a anyway. So the question we want to, uh, the observation we will make and the question we'll ask, the reason I'm not giving out the sheets is some people like yeah. to look at the sheets beforehand and look for the answers and everything. Yeah. So we just want to... You don't like them, this we don't answer, right? Well, I, th- <laughs> I want you to look for the answers. So anyway, let, let's do some quick review. How many books of the Torah are there? Five. Now, it's always a very good uh, exercise is to figure if I just gave you the 54 parshas one after the other and didn't tell you how many books it was, and I didn't tell you how many books it was, you'd be very, probably would fail in determining how many books and what would go in one book. But too bad you guys know. 11, 10, 10, 11. Well, you know that 12, 11, 10, 10, 11, right? But still in all, what is very, we have to understand why did Hashem divide the books the way he did? And what is very interesting observation is that we always make a turn from ending the four books and then starting the fifth book is always during the time of the three weeks. Okay? So you gotta, we gotta understand if that's the way it is, there's gotta be a good reason for that. Why do the four books end, punct, right in the middle of the three weeks, and the next book starts in the middle of the three weeks as well? So that is something we have to, uh, we're gonna work on. So now, and I gave you extensive notes this time, for, um, so you'll be able to have something to say over because it's really uh, very, very good stuff over here and it's a bit of detail and I promised you in the email it's going to be easier class than last week we did one very difficult with Rashi and I felt sorry for everybody so we'll make it much easier but that's the overall question we're discussing, and this is based primarily on the teachings of the Shvile Pinchas from more than 10 years ago, Rav Pinchas Friedman, and also some insights from Chabad. I've put the two together, and uh, should be a very nice piece. So the second parsha is Masay, which is the last book of the Torah, of uh, Bamidbar. And the first pasuk is Ele Masay Bnei Yisrael, and these are the travelings of the Jewish people. Asher Yotzu Meeretz Mitzrayim, which left Mitzrayim Litzivosom by their troops, Biad Moshe and Aaron in the charge of Moshe and Aaron. So the Megala Mukos, one of the great Kabbalists, makes a very interesting observation. Take a look at the first four words of the pasuk. And I did bold them, although I should have put them in pink. It's okay. Uh, no, it's in, it's in bold, but not in pink. So, Ela has an olive. Mase starts with a mem. Beis for B'nai Yisrael. And Yud for Yisrael. Says the Megala Mukas in source number two. What we see from here is a remes to the four exiles of the Jewish people. The Jewish people were in four exiles. It's not in order necessarily, but Ela starts with an Aleph, and that is the Galut of Edom, which was the last one. Mem of Masay is for Modai, Media, Persia and Media, which was the second Gaulus. B'nai is a base starts the word Bavel, which was the first Golos, and Yisrael starts with a Yud, and that's Yavon, and that's Greeks. So we have a hint to the four exiles 
in the very first word of Parshas Maseh. And if you think about it, it's very logical that the first Pasuk that is recapping the Jewish people's journeys out of Mitzrayim should be alluding to future journeys of the exile. And uh, that's why when it's saying these are the journeys of the Jewish people, although we're going back and going through the 40 years that they were in the desert, but it's meant to teach us that uh, just like we were on a journey for 40 years from Egypt to Eretz Yisrael, so too after the base of Migdash is destroyed, we're also going on a journey from uh, the deserts of our lives for uh, many, many years till we finally will come to the final redemption when Mashiach will come in Heriyamenu. And just like we know that when we were taking these journeys, it wasn't a permanent, permanent state of affairs. It was only 40 years. And it's like a person traveling from one place to another to correct some issues that have to be corrected. But once you finish all the journeys, you go home. And that is supposed to be the nature of all Golos that we are in. In these words, we journey from one exile to another till we repair what has to be done. And when we fulfill that task, Hashem will redeem us from this exile and bring us back to Eretz Yisrael. Now, why he doesn't mention the Golos of Mitzrayim is because we know that the Golos of Mitzrayim really was not for any specific sins the Jewish people did, but that was the kiln to purify the Jewish people, but really it it is the, uh, what do you call it, the source of all the four exiles that's going to um, come out from that. And that's why you see a nice uh, hint to that, that the Chida tells us in source number three, that when it says, coming from to Mitzrayim, again we've got the letters Beis, Aleph, Yud, Mem again and that hints to the four exiles so that's bringing again this idea of we went to Egypt and that is a, a taste of what those four exiles are going to be and another beautiful hint in the Siddur in the first brach of the Amida, we say Umevi Goel he will bring a redeemer Mevi, Mem, Beis, Yud, Aleph Again, are the four letters of the four exiles that we go through. So, yeah, so we got all kinds of hints over here for the exiles that we have. Okay, so now, so that's one idea, but there's much, much more to this. So now let's go back and, and, and see a famous Gemara in the Torah in source number five, where it tells us how many books are in the Torah. Had the Jews not done so many sins, the only books we would need, all we would need is the five books of the Torah and the book of Sefer Yoshua. Only Yoshua we only need it because of Eretz Yisrael and we conquered the land of Eretz Yisrael. It is so precious. So I want to give uh, share with you this idea and this is the question in source number six, is why is the Torah divided by four books and then a fifth book, which is clearly different than the others? Because the fifth book is called in Talmudic parlance, the, um, the Mishneh Torah, the review of the Torah, where Rashi says it's called Mishneh Torah because it prevents a, cer- a certain review of prior events that Moshe brings. So we see clearly this fifth book is different. And in what way is it different? So first of all, very interesting, I know we're not up to Sefer Dvarim yet, but what's the first word of Sefer Dvarim? Any takers? <laughs> How would you know? It's been a year since you've done it. What? Eilah Hadvarim. Eilah, very good, very good. Eilah Hadvarim, which means these are the words. 
Now, normally, we would usually say ve'ele, and these are. So in source number seven, I'm sorry, I don't have the English for this. Rabbeinu Bachaya says, why did we start with Ela and not Ve'ela? And we have a general rule that whenever if we have a Vav to begin a parsha, it means it's connected to what was before. If you don't have a Vav and it just says Ela, it means it's separated from what's before. And that kind of hints to the fact that the fifth book is a different book. It's really not connected to it as, as much. And Orachayim HaKadosh, in Source 8, you got English on that over there, tells us another reason why it's called Ela, coming to exclude what's before it, because it's Ela HaDvorim Asher Diber Moshe, which Moshe spoke. The first four books was directly Hashem um, uh, dictating to Moshe what to write. The Sefer Dvorim didn't work out that way exactly. Sefer Dvarim is Moshe got up and started speaking. And he gave speeches for 37 days. And at the end of the 37 days, and this is this is things he just said himself, and then at the end of the 37 days, Hashem said, you know, it's very good what you said, and that's going to be the fifth book of the Torah. That was the fifth book of the Torah. Just about everything in that was what he said to the Jewish people. And therefore, that brings out a bit of a question. As we see in source number nine, the Gomorrah in Sanhedrin says, quotes a Pusuk, and says, it's, heritage, it's heresy to say that even one Pusuk of the Torah was not uttered by Hashem, but uttered by Moshe. So how can we say that Moshe said it himself? To which Rabbeinu Bahai in source number 10 tells us that the truth is Moshe did say it, but then Hashem said, you know, what you said is very good, so I'm going to redictate it back to you, and now you'll put it down in the Torah. So in other words, just like you have stories in the Torah, Avram said this, and Hashem says to Moshe, write down Avram said this. Uh, Yitzhak said this. Hashem says, write down Yitzhak says this. So now this story, Moshe happens to be the actor in the story. He happens to be making a speech. And Hashem sits down with him and says when he's finished, you know, that was really a great speech. He had really good prophetic understandings. So this is really what I want to be, the fifth book of the Torah. And now I will tell you now your words you said, and I'll write it down again. Okay, so that's what it means. And therefore, for example, when Hashem said the curses in Sefer Vayikra, Hashem told Moshe the curses to tell the Jewish people. But in Parshas Kisavo, in Sefer Dvarim, Moshe gets up himself and says the curses. And then Hashem says, okay, now we're going to write it down, exactly the words you had. So Moshe is the actor, so to speak, in the fifth book, that Hashem says, that's very good. And I want that to be part of Torah, just like any other part of Torah where Hashem is the narrator and repeats what people said. So Hashem is repeating what Moshe says. So that's all fine. Of course, Bible critics who are secular, you, you know, use this as they contend every book had a different author. But we don't agree with that at all. And it was just Moshe's statements that God said are now canonized in the Torah. And Hashem says, I'm saying it over as you said, and now you write it down. But it still requires an explanation why were the first four books really uttered directly by Hashem and why the fifth book is uttered by Moshe and not by Hashem. Why does it happen to be that way? It didn't have to be that way. Hashem could have given rebuke to the Jewish people and that could have been the fifth book. Hashem could have said, Moshe, tell the Jewish people the following. And that could have been saved for Dvarim. Instead, Moshe Rabbeinu comes up with it himself. Hashem says, yes, that's going to be safe for Edward. So that's what we have to understand. What, why is it that way? Yeah? But Torah was already created earlier before... Okay, so you're asking... So that, that's a famous question on anything of Torah. If we say Hashem created the Torah before the world was created, so what's going on over here? So the answer is, the Torah is... is uh, manifests itself in different ways based in different spheres of reality. The Torah that we have here 
is the Torah that's in the world of Asiya. And in the higher worlds, the Torah manifests itself in different ways. The Torah is the will of Hashem. It's the will of Hashem. So the will of Hashem in higher realms of existence, the will of Hashem before the world was created, was also Torah. And the Torah in that world before the world was created expressed itself differently. Now, the Torah that we have now, this is the lowest form of God's um, under, uh, of God's expression of reality wow. for this world. So before the world existed, there was Torah. What's the Torah? The will of Hashem. What is the will of Hashem? And it expresses itself in different ways. Finally, when it comes down into this world, it expresses itself in a very different way. No different than if, one second, no different than uh, if I give a class I could give this class to seven-year-olds, but I would say it differently than I would say it to you. And, and, and it would be a, a diluted message. It would be a diluted message. But, but so depending who you're speaking to, that's the levels, but they're not in contradiction to each other. But the will of God in a world that's physical comes down as this. Before Hashem created the world, and really, it's just a different. It's like it's like when you put light through a prism, get different colors. So Hashem's will through a prism of realities comes out differently. Different uh, language, a heavenly language, is it different than a this worldly language? It's all the divine will of Hashem as it filters into this realm of existence. Yeah. So in this realm of existence, I'm always puzzled by what Torah they learned at Shem and Eber. And also, did we, if Hashem gave the Torah at Sinai, didn't he give the Chamisha Kumshe Torah at Sinai? No. He didn't. Only partially. At, at Sinai, what, what he told the Jews was only the Ten Commandments. What he taught Moshe was everything he needed to know, but he didn't dictate the five books to him. He, he, he told him the whole Torah, everything in the Torah, everything that he needed to know. And he continued to tell him uh, in the 40 years in the desert. But, uh, you know, he didn't necessarily write, uh, Moshe did not write the entire five books of Moshe when he was on C at Sinai. Those events didn't happen yet. And, and the Yeshiva Shem Ve'ever, the will of Hashem before he gave the Torah, in a world of idolatry, had a different manifestation. Uh, it says that Avram had, I forgot exactly how many, he had uh, dozens and dozens of chapters on the laws of idolatry that we don't have nowadays because idolatry in Avram's day was much more of a powerful force than it was later. So the will of Hashem is always one will. One will is to bestow kindness to man. That is the will of Hashem. How it filters through every diverse plane of existence will come out different because the will in that part is for this thing to happen to enable something to happen in another world so that there's no problem in uh, and therefore it's possible that people could uh, have uh, transcendental intellectual experiences where they could dig, dig deep in dig into higher realms and understand things beyond what people over here could understand but uh, that's not for our uh, pay grade okay, so and not for our avodas Hashem. My first question was already asked here, but I have another one. When did Moshe write? When did this come through the fifth book? Was he was it in the desert when he was teaching the Torah to call Israel, or did it well after, it, it, afterwards? Or it obviously well we know the day he died he wrote thirteen Sifrei Torahs, so that was miraculous. Oh boy! So you know he could he could write it whenever he whenever he wrote it. It, it doesn't really matter. Uh, it just matters the day he died, there were 13 Sifrei Torah that were written. Maybe if he taught it in the... So he, he taught things. The, the experience of trying to teach the Torah to call Israel may have been an influence on him. I guess. And, and again, Hashem obviously could not have told him everything at Sinai. He's not going to tell him that he hit the rock. Yeah. That's, that, that's not there. But, what, but the will of Hashem, the entire will of Hashem was given to Moshe. What he needed to know at each time is what he gave it to him. The main thing that we need to know, and the only thing that's important is when the Moshe left this world, 
He left us a, a perfect Torah intact with a lot of other things purposely not told so future generations would figure out what's happened. But we're getting a little bit, not a little bit, a lot off track, but that's fine, that's fine. And uh, we gotta bring it back into these four and five books. That was the, the purpose of the class tonight. Anyway, so now let's start in source number 11. And this is the theme that we're gonna work on now for the rest of the class, what the Shvile Pinchas, Rav Pinchas Friedman tells us. And it's it's I got everything spelled out for you. So it's, it's it's on a silver platter tonight. So what the five books of the Torah, besides anything else, it's teaching us, is there are five distinct periods in Jewish history of the Jewish people that are alluded to in the five books of the Torah. And if you could figure out very simple, there are four exiles plus the Messianic era is. Five eras since the giving of the Torah, per se, since uh, we're dealing with the most significant parts. So, therefore, we've got four exiles, the time of Geula, and therefore, each one of the four books provides the Jewish people with the light and wisdom of Hashem that enable the Jewish people to survive that particular Gullus. So therefore, when we're going to match up each gullus that the Jews went through, and the question is, how did the Jews get through the gullus? How did we get through the gullus? The messages of each sefer would give us the antidote and the way to successfully deal with the exile that we were in. With the fifth book is that of the telling us when Mashiach is going to come. So just like on a micro level, the Jews being for 40 years in the desert was our experience of the challenges and that was a form of a gullus as well because we didn't have a homeland yet. We left Egypt, but we weren't in Israel. So those 40 years were preparing us as we became a nation and now going after we got the Torah and then instead of going to Israel because we messed up, so we experience an exile that we don't enter Eretz Yisrael. And that time in the desert is, as we now um, summarize, and we go through the four books of the Torah, that is hinting to the various exiles that we will be in, with Sefer Tvarim being the book of the redemption. And that's gonna be, be the answer why we finish the fourth book in the three weeks and start the fifth book in the three weeks because we know that we go up till Tishabav, which is the destruction of the base on Migdash that represents all the exile and after Tishabav, we have Parshas Nachamu which is the comfort and we know that eventually Tishabav, really we know that from 17th of Thomas to Tishabav in the messianic era will be one long holiday and, and 17th of Thomas is Yontif, Tisha B'av is a Yontif, and 19 days of Chol HaMoed in between, in the Messianic era. So, so therefore, what's happening is that as we're going through and these difficult three weeks, which really from our perspective is reviewing all the exiles we've all been through all this time, that's really what the three weeks is all about. Not just the destruction of the Bate Mikdashos, but it's what all of exile is all about. We started, we start the three weeks at the 70th of Tamach, which is the golden calf, and that was really the first negative experience. We ended three weeks with the story of the spies, and that encapsulates all the challenges, all the exiles we've had throughout our history, and these four books that we're about to finish carry the message of the exile and the antidote to that exile and then as we pass the three weeks we so to speak it's we get nechama and comfort knowing that Mashiach is going to happen so what we're going to do for the balance of the class is show you how each safer is unique and presents what the challenge is 
and what the correction of the challenge is, okay? Now, I've already told you the whole class in advance. It's much easier than last week where you guys were groping to figure what's going on. So now I'm making it much easier. You know, you know what they say, tell people what you're going to tell them before you tell them, then tell it to them, and then tell them again that you told them. Last Monday you weren't here. You were in Spain. You were in Italy. Shabbat was also a hard class. It's a hard class. When I gave it again for the dads, I made it much easier. Oh. <laughs> made it much easier. I already learned my lesson. I'm gonna keep it keep it easier. Keep it easier. Okay, no no no. Okay. Anyway, so let's take a look at each one. And now it'll it'll also help you get a better appreciation of what the safer is about. We certainly can give you a simple answer that we understand that the five books, the first book is called Bereshis, right? And it's called the, the, the book of creation. And it deals with uh, the world being created and all the spiritual characteristics, the mitos that are created. And it deals with the patriarchal society that we had. That's a simple explanation of Bereshis. And Shmos is the emergence of the nation of the Jewish people. And Vayikra is... Uh, the book of the Kohanim, the book of holiness, and Bamidbar is the challenges in the desert. Certainly we can say on a very simple level, but there's much more depth to this. So let's take a look at point 13, where Sefer Bereshis, now it's going to make sense here, they should all fit according to the orders, is the Gaulus, it relates to the Gaulus Bavel, the Babylonian. It will show us what the challenges of the Gullus Bavel will become and will give us the solutions to how to deal with the Gullus Bavel. And what's the key Pasuk there? The key Pasuk is in source number 14, the Tower of Bavel. What a coincidence. And what did Hashem do in response? Vayifetz Hashem osam misham Hashem dispersed them al penekal oretz over the face of the earth. Vayachtelu livnosayir they stopped building the city al kein karoshma bavel. That's why he called the the country bavel. Kisham bolal Hashem svas kolars because Hashem confused the language of all the earth, and from them he spread them over the entire world. Okay, so well, how did the Parshish Masse begin. Ele Masse Bene. Bene starts with a base, stands for the Gullus of Bavel. Aha. Uh-huh. So that's the base. Now let's uh, try to think a little bit, look at the next uh, source over there. What's the Gematria of Bene? Bays is 2, Nun is 50, Yud is 10, 62. What's so special about the number 62? When the Jews were in the first exile from Bavel, it was after, you know, we said it was 70 years, but there was an initial exile, but the heart of the exile was in the eighth year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, and then it was 62 years till it was conquered by Persia. So it's exactly 62 years we were under Babylonian rule. And that's the hint to B'nai, which is, stands for Bavel, and the 62 years that we were under Babylonian exile. Okay, so what's the message? What's the message that in the Gullus of Bavel, it's hinted to in the word B'nai? So what does it mean? That when Hashem sends us into the exile, He's sending us as children into the exile. Not as hated people that He can't stand us and is locking us up in a jail and carting us off never to be seen of again. It's a parent who never is crying and disciplining a child and saying, listen, the only way you're going to be able to remain my son, my children, is to go through this exile. And if we notice, this exile in Bava was a very unique one because of all the exiles, it was the softest, was the easiest one. Why? Because first there was a preliminary exile during King Yechonia's rule before the temple was destroyed where all the intelligentsia of the Jewish 
a religion like Daniel, Mordechai, all these people were already in Bavel. So when the Jews get into Bavel, they already are not total strangers. And Bavel, Babylonia, uh, Arami was a sister language to Hebrew. So Hashem is already treating them like children who have to be sent away. So a loving parent disciplines and punishes his child by distancing them, but doesn't have them suffer needlessly so that they eventually can bring themselves back. And that was most clearly seen in the Babylonian exile. Because what were we able to accomplish in the Babylonian exile? To build the greatest Torah centers in the history of the Jewish people. That lasted long after the destruction of the Second Temple. Okay? And they were even and Jewish leaders were appointed by the Babylonian king to be his advisors, which made material life in Bavel as well fine. It was too good, as a matter of fact, because most Jews did not want to go back to Eretz Yisrael. That's how good the exile was. So to describe the way that we were able to survive and endure the exile, we focus on that word b'nei that Hashem exiled as his children. We have to always remind ourselves that we're God's children and he'll never abandon us even when we live in the last moments of the exile. As we shall see that when we come to the end of the Gaulus, really all four exiles come together. All the forces in this last exile, it all comes back in, all, in every way possible. So therefore, Sefer Breshis is the key to survival, look at point 16. Look at the subject matters. What was Bubble? Bubble was idol with a threat of idol worship. That was the big test. Can we survive idol worship in the exile? So look at some of the important subject matters in Sefer Breshis. Avram fights against pagan idol worship. Okay, that was a big thing right in the beginning. What else do we know about Avodazara? It, it disagrees with Hashkacha Pratis, which means there's no such thing as a personal relationship with God. In idol worshiping, there's no such thing as a personal relationship with the God. The God is very high up. You pay your dues to be able to be uh, taken care of, but it's not a personal relationship. Avram brought into the world that no, there's Hashkacha Pratis, specific divine intervention, because Hashem has a personal relationship with us. Yosef is the viceroy of Egypt, where Egypt is full of idolatry, and we see how a Jew can live in an idolatrous nation. All the messages of how Yosef lived his life of always speaking to Hashem, always giving Hashem credit for everything to show you that even one Jew who could be in an exile of idolaters can survive and thrive and become a great leader in the world. And certainly that's what Yaakov does when he prepares his children to go down into the exile of Egypt. What does he do? He sends Yehuda first to identify and to make the Jewish education before we go down into the world of Goshen. So this is, so Sefer Bracious, if we really take a, I'm just giving you some highlights, but if you go through the entire Sefer Bracious, says the Shvile Pinchas, we're learning about that first Golos that we're going to go through, which is Bavel, which is idolatry, and the way we're going to overcome, and we still have different types of idolatry nowadays. Remember, idolatry, the definition of idolatry is what? Putting your trust in something other than God. Is that correct definition? Yes. Okay. Are there people today who put their trust in something other than God? Of course. Are the Jews that you know that even religious Jews, if they forget about themselves, will put their trust in something other than God? And what happens if you do that? You can get swallowed up in the exile and not come out alive. So how do you fight back? You have to understand, first of all, I'm a child of Hashem, and Hashem puts me in a place where I can be able to take care of myself. And there's ways, and, and now I study, how did Avram live his life? How did Yosef live his life? How did Yaakov live his life? And these are the three shepherds that help us to identify with them so we can get through all these idolatrous notions so we can survive that. 
And that's the main point of Sefer Bracious, how we can endure the exile by that word B'nai, reminding ourselves as Hashem's children, Hashem will never abandon us. And no matter how bad the situations appear to be, Hashem does not abandon his people. And that's the point of Sefer Bracious. And that's why every year we go over the Torah, because we're still in the exile. So the first 12 weeks of the year, we get a good, it's like getting a vaccine every year. You have to get a vaccine for the common cold or for the flu. So guess what? Every year we can get a lot of viruses from the exile virus. Every year it's a new version of the exile virus. So Bracious, you get inoculated against whatever Babylonian heresy that comes into this world. And you read the Parshas, you got that shot, you're inoculated against that, and you survive one aspect of the Gullus for the entire year. But the vaccine's only good for a year, that's all. It's, it's, it's just a booster. And that's have to look at Safer Bracious. And if you learn it, you know, you took a vaccine this last winter for the cold, you're gonna take it again next year for the flu. Why do I gotta keep taking a vaccine? Because there's different strains. It's different strains. Guess what? The HR every year has different strains of idolatry that come to us. Sometimes it's money, sometimes it's fame, sometimes all, all different kinds of things. So this is where we see, and that's the B'nai part for that. Okay? Next, Sefer Shemos. Okay, which one is that gonna help? Well, obviously we're gonna be going in order, so we did Bavel, and the next one is Modai. Poras and Modai. And what do we know about Paras and Modai? Well, we'll see some very interesting things. So, what is probably the biggest theme of the Sefer Shmos is the receiving of the Torah at Sinai, right? And that's source 19, where the Gemara in Shabbos tells us that Hashem put the mountain over our heads, okay? And yet, we so- no, and we said, okay, we don't have a choice. But nevertheless, what did Gmar Shabbat says? We accepted it, re-accepted willingly when? In Megillah Esther. In Megillah Esther, the Purim story, which yeah. was the Gaulus of Poras and Madai. Okay, that was the Gaulus of uh, the Persians and the Medes, and specifically Achashverosh, etc., etc., so we see in the merit of receiving the Torah in Sefer Torah, in Sefer Shmos, was a process that was completed when? During the rule of Achashverosh. And that's Parasu Madai, that negative force of Madai. When Haman was about to destroy us, how did we survive? It was that Koach of Torah that gave us that survival that we did not get wiped out. And therefore, the second word of the parsha, we go back to Ela Mase. Mase starts with a mem. That's Modai. And what does Modai mean? Uh, Mase mean journeys. And that's part of the Persian Median journey. Now, what kind of journeys were going on? This is fascinating. If you look for the gematria of Mase. Mem Samach Ayin Yud is 180. Okay, it's 180, that number, uh, jog any Jewish, um, uh, what do you call it, Trivi- trivia? Oh, again, so you're looking inside again, see? How long was the party that Achashverosh made? 180 days. The exact gematria of? Mase, which corresponds to the Gullus of Modai. Okay? That's a prominent number, 180 days. And the question is, why did he make that party? Well, number one, it was to consolidate his, po- his power. Obviously, in his mind, was this party was the celebration of the triumph over the Jewish people who were not coming back. 
did right at that time, as we said many times, his calculation of 70 years is that we weren't coming back. He took all the vessels of the temple and God did not strike him down. So the Jews were, were his subjects and were not able to come back and rebuild the temple. The rebuilding was stopped. In effect, what was highlighting now, we're highlighting this Persia median exile, that's the number 180. Now, why was the party 180 days? Well, there's many answers. Vilna Gon says he had 1,080 treasures. He showed six treasures a day, and that came out to 180 times six is 1,080. But some of Warsham said he wanted to make sure that every citizen throughout the realm could come to the party. Yeah. Now, he ruled because from was... one end of the world to the other. That's right. So the guy the farthest away would have to travel 180 days. He wanted to make a party long enough that everybody could well, come to the party. He wanted what? He wanted to kill them with love. Well, it, but but clearly solidifying his power that the whole world succeeded in the Jews not going back to Israel. That's why the Talmud says that when it talks about the the amount of time that a husband must, how often a husband must be intimate with his wife, there's different amounts once a week for certain people, certain professions. If you're married to a sailor, you know that your amount of intimacy is once every six months. Because a sailor goes for six month furloughs. So you see it takes a half a year sometimes to get from one part of the world to another. So therefore the 180 symbolizes the extraordinary lengths some took in order to participate in this uh, terrible celebration of the Jewish exile and not returning back. That's what the feast was about. So what, what has to follow, what we have to have in this is a way to counter those trips of exile, so to speak. And therefore many of the mitzvos and Sefer Shmos are meant to offset that. So let's take a look. Some of the concepts that are in Sefer Shmos. Well, first of all, Sefer Shmos is called the Book of Exile and Redemption. Why was it called the Book of Exile and Redemption? Well, we were exiled in Egypt, and we weren't redeemed, and we were redeemed in that Book of Shmos. So the obvious question Ramban asked, what do you mean? Why is the Book of Shmos so long? We were redeemed by the fourth Parsha. But Yisro already got the Torah. Weren't we redeemed? Why is there another seven Parshas? The building of the Mishkin and all that, Ramban says, because we're not redeemed until we return to live with the Shechina. And therefore, it's the ultimate redemption. Redemption is not just enough to have the Torah, but we have to be able to come back and rebuild a Mishkan. And therefore, the Jews had to travel in the desert in order to be redeemed. We got the Torah at Sinai. We didn't want to accept the oral law at Sinai. That's why Hashem had to put the, the, the mountain over our heads. But we accepted the oral law when... In the Purim story. So you see again this idea of us being able to return back. The whole Persia media exile was an exile trying to prevent us from going back to Eretz Yisrael. But ultimately at the end it's the very son of Achashverosh and Esther, King Darius, who initially lets us go to come back. So this all is there and therefore we also have the mitzvah in Parsha Shmos of Alias Regal, going three times a year to Yerushalayim. It's in Parsha Shmos. Sefer Shmos. So Sefer Shmos teaches us the way to con- counter these desires of the nations of the world for us not to go back to Eretz Yisrael and to travel all kinds of places, not to holy places. So therefore we are shown the, the type of traveling we should be doing and going back and having this Mishkan in our lives. So therefore, when we're dealing with the exile, we have to know that as much as the exile is trying to keep us away from the Beis Amigdash, to try to keep away from all this, but we have a Mishkan, and the Mishkan is not only the Mishkan itself, but in everybody's heart, is our own Mishkan. And that's what the whole book of Shmos is to bring the relationship of Hashem back to us. So yet idolatry was the big problem in Sefer Breshis, but with these others, they were trying to just not let us get back to our Mishkan. 
And that's the whole idea of Sefer Shmos, is to build a Mishkan. And I will dwell in them. So even if you don't have a tabernacle, you still have a tabernacle within yourself. And even in the exile, you can have a tabernacle within yourself. And that becomes the second method, the second inoculation to ward off the virus of Madai. Okay. Vayikra. What's Vayikra going to relate to? The next exile is Yavon, is Greece. Okay. Now, uh, what, what were, how did we, dis- what was the whole bottom line with Greece? Well, we had a unique ability to, what was, what was Greece, the one word that would really describe them is, well, beauty, but also what did they do to the temple? They defiled it. Greece relates to Tuma, defiling. Idol worship is one thing. Preventing Jews from going back to the temple is another thing. But defiling, immorality, and things like Greek culture, all those things. And what did the Greeks stop? They, we had a temple, but they stopped the service in the temple. And the service had karbanos. And the Greeks didn't want that. And what's Sefer Vayikra all about? Karbanos. Okay, and the military victory and the whole holiday of Hanukkah, as we'll see, interestingly, is hinted to in Sefer Vayikra. If you look in the B'nai Yisachar, who quotes the Rokeach, and what do we have in Sefer Vayikra? Parshas Emor has all the holidays. Ah, where's Hanukkah? It's not there. Why is Hanukkah not there? Because it's a rabbinic holiday. Eh, can't be in the Torah. But it's hinted to it. What does it mention after the holidays? What's the next topic? Lighting the menorah. In the Torah is lighting the menorah. Why does Hashem put lighting the menorah right after the holidays? To tell you Hashem is hinted there's going to be another holiday when you're going to need one. The holiday of lighting the menorah, the Hanukkah. And that's also hinted to all in Vayikra. Vayikra is the book Torah's Kohanim. The book of the Kohanim. Who are the heroes against the third exile? Were the Kohanim. It was a it was a war against the impure, against the pure. It's interesting. The Greeks did not want to annihilate the Jews. They were not interested in that. They they weren't opposed to the Jews living in their land. They weren't even opposed to the Jews studying Torah and observing the commandments. As long as you view the Jewish people, they felt, as a nation like any other nation, and we have our customs, it's fine. The Greeks could tolerate Jewish nationhood. It's, all, it's only if we look at the Torah as a very nice intellectual thing to have. There's nothing wrong with that. But the Greeks worshipped logic and nature and were, were, were in love with beauty and they glorified the human body. So they glorified everything that was so beautiful in the physical world. They could not stand anything transcendental and spiritual, anything that defied logic. They could not stand that. And they were horrified if anybody would do something to mess around with the beautiful human body, which the Jews did with the midst of circumcision. Because the whole point is the beauty of the body, and it doesn't make sense. Why do you got to? Why do you got to circumcise it? And all the things that were part of the Hanukkah story that we don't have to go over all of those details. But uh, but th- but that is the the great challenge. Now, who are we now? Ela Masse Bnei Yisrael. Remember, Yisrael starts with a Yud. That's Yavan, and the name Yisrael really is what? Yashar Kale, straight on with God, and that's what the Greeks didn't want. They didn't want this transcendental word. This Yisrael represents this tremendous spiritual power that we have. And to go through the Golas of Yavan that want us to defile ourselves. You could be Jewish, you can live in Israel, you don't have to worship idols, just deify logic. We don't do anything that goes beyond logic. And logic, of course, People who are very logical are the most immoral people in the world. And therefore, we have to deal with morality. And the whole book of Vayikra is all about Kedusha, going to the mikvah and Tumah, and all those things 
that make that up. And therefore, how does the book end in source number 25? These are the statues and the laws and the Torahs that Hashem gave us. And we're also said in source 26, Be holy people, because I am holy. And look at all the concepts that are in Sefer Vayikra. It's called Torahs Kahanim, the law of the Kahanim, Mila, the, the Mishkan, that transcended all the realities of nature. Forbidden relationships is twice there. Sanctify yourself with that which is permitted, say for Kedoshim. Don't behave like the non-Jews because the Jews are different. So therefore, say for Vayikrog parallels that word Yisrael, which is the Mamish, the opposite of the Greeks. So this is how we deal with that type of Golos that's trying to drag us down. And finally, the last one is Sefer Bamidbor that corresponds to the Golos of Edom. That's the fourth and the last one. And what an interesting story in Source 30, which was last week, or two weeks ago, Parshas Hukas. After Aaron dies, what happens? Source 30, Moshe sends messengers to the king of Edom. Edom. Okay, and this fourth book of the Torah represents the Golis of Edom. And says, can we please go through your land? And we're willing to pay you for the land. And they deny it. They do not let us go. Okay, interesting. You know, that's, that's a big part of the story. So what, what, how does that story, you know, tell us more about the entire book? Well, it's interesting, we know that Rashi tells us that when Yaakov meets Esau, when he returns back from Israel, and when Esau hugs Yaakov, Rav Shimbar Yechai says, Halacha he, it's a known law. A law means not just Halacha, but it's the way of the world, that Esau sone Yaakov. Esau hates Yaakov. Why did God want Esau to hate Yaakov? Because when he hates us, we'll survive. That's right, exactly. The anti-Semitism keeps us alive, right? And therefore, the light of Sefer Bamidbor will help us because Edom, as much as they hate us and they want to kill us, and we think, oh, that's a terrible thing, and we might want to give up on our Yiddishkeit, we got to say that is the great silver lining that keeps us going in this exile. And just like Edom did not let us cross their land, so what happened? So we couldn't go through their land. We couldn't be influenced by them. But what happened later? Edom gets defeated by other nations, by Sihon and others. And then we're able to have the land of Edom afterwards anyway. We end up with all that land. So you can see again this idea of, of Edom's pure hatred for us, wanting to destroy us totally. And all that the Western society brings to bear. And what is the worst? That's the fourth exile. Has all three put together. On top of that, what, why, do we, why do we get the temple destroyed, the second temple? Because of what? Sinas chinam. Baseless hatred. Lush and hara. Not able to get along. Machloikis. Well, look what Sefer Bamidbar is filled with. The Sota woman. Husband and wife can't get along. The Nazir who's trying to stay away from wine. The Misoni, the complainers on the road. The people complaining to have more food. Miriam speaking Lashnar. The spies. Korach. The snakes. Bilam. The midst of Tzitzis. All those things are all, all teaching us today. how to deal with that whole issue of Sinas Chinam and Machlaikas and all those things. And therefore... What, what word fits in with that? Ele. Remember, Ele, Aleph Lamede, Aleph stands for Edom. These, these are. What, what's, what does these mean? These are an expression of clarity and openness. These, this is it. We can point blame. to it. Pure blame. And that's the opposite of the hidden evil that the Talmud says. Talmud says, why is this exile so long? Why was the first exile only 70 years? While this one's so long, Gemara says, the first exile, the sins were clear. Murder, immorality, idol worship. So you know clearly what's wrong, you can clearly fix it up. 
the temple, the second temple, wasn't so clear. We were very good Jews. We learned a lot of Torah. But this baseless hatred, which is not such an obvious thing to people, that's what creates the problem. So now we start the fourth book. Ele, uh, the, the hint of the fourth exile, you got to be clear what the issues are over here. So you could look at this, everything, everything in the media is all one thing. Lashon Hara. Lashon Hara, well really it's Lashon Hara, Machlokes, immorality. But primarily it's all based on lies. It's all this, it's all Lashon Hara. And no unity with anybody. And, and, you, and you get so and if you want to be clear what happened you get attacked you get cancelled I mean the answers to all the civilization are so clear you know it's like it's like you're looking well you know inflation's down you know it's a big shtus they say inflation's down to 4% you know what that means it means it comes from two years ago it's 12% higher see people are stupid most people, present company excluded, are stupid. Say, look, Biden's an amazing president. He first got us to go to 8%. That's amazing. From 1% to 8%. And now we got it down to 4%. But 4% in 2023 is 12% over 2011. It should be negative. Okay? And, now, and, and what's the solution? Solution, just drill for oil. Just drill for oil, the whole inflation. Just drill for oil and don't spend billions of dollars on a fishtunk in the Ukraine. Two communist countries fighting with each other. But whoever says Ayla, get him thrown in jail, get him out of the picture. This is the gullus we're at. And the same thing amongst Jews ourselves. Internal fighting creates that. So the Ayla is that clarity to be there. So those are the four books. And those are the four books end right around now, in the middle of the three weeks. Which really is really, a, that itself is a consolation. How in the world have we survived the last 2,000 years? And therefore, we say in Tehillim every Shabbos, Shir Hamalois Beshuv Hashem Eshivas Tzion Hayinu Kecholni. Song of Ascents, when Hashem will return it, we will be like dreamers. What does it mean we're like dreamers? Well, when Hashem will return us back to Zion at the time of the full redemption, we're going to look at all, I could go back over to all the hardships, all the gullies. Now, if you really would add up all the suffering we have been through since the first temple was destroyed, you just add it up, you know. The, the blacks say they're entitled to reparations for a couple hundred years of being slaves, okay? You know, they weren't through anything close to what we, we, we got the black slavery years before the ready blacks. When the Romans we were slaves for hundreds of years. You just add up everything, think of every pogrom, every inquisition, every holocaust, every gullus, and we still, right now, at the cusp of Mashiach, are as strong as we've ever been. If not stronger in certain ways. Weaker in certain ways, but stronger in certain ways. Can't, aren't we just amazed? It's like a dream. Is there anything different than a dream? How could we be the where, where we are today? It's incredible. And in these words, it's going to see when Bishuv Hashem Eshivas It's unbelievable. There's no way we could survive this. So what's the key? Again, it's a remez. Bishuv Hashem. Bishuv. Beis Shin Vav Beis. Beis is Bereshis. Shin is Shmos. Vav is Vayikra. Beis is Bamidbor. How did Hashem return us? Because every year we go over all the partials. Every year, every year, no matter how bad the exile is, we get the vaccine every year. We go to shul, we learn the Torah. 
These four svarim shatter the forces of the Golios of Bavel, Madai, Yavan, and Edom, allowing us to persevere. So we can appreciate why the Torah chose to allude to the four Golios in the final parsha of Ela Masse B'nai Yisrael are these four exiles because as we finish the exile in the desert, we're finishing the exile of history. Which now leads us, now we turn the corner. We turn the corner, Sefer Dvarim. Sefer Dvarim corresponds to the period of the future Geula. Right? Because what's, what's it all about? So you're going to go to Eretz Yisrael? It's all about Eretz Yisrael. Every, the whole book of Dvarim. It adds a few more mitzvahs. It's a little bit of recapping everything that got us to this point in time. But the majority of Sefer Dvarim is all about going to Eretz Yisrael. But there's one more thing. Look at source 36. Apostolic says, Ki Torah me'iti teitzei. The Torah will come for me. Look what the Medrash says. Amar HaKadosh Baruch Hashem says, Torah chadosha me'iti teitzei. There'll be a new Torah that will come from me. Whoa, that seems to contradict the Rambam in source 37. One of the 13 principles of faith is the Torah will never be changed. Will never be changed. So, uh, so the Medrash, the answer, the Medrash is not suggesting Hashem will give us an entirely new Torah. But in the future, Hashem will reveal to us deeper insights in the very psukim that we've been learning the whole time. Because when there's the future geula, we will achieve spiritual heights we could never have attained. And therefore, when we look at the Chumash, again, it'll be a new layer. will be revealed. It'll be a messianic layer of Torah. And we can look at all these words of the Torah and we're going to see it in a different plane. And the words will have totally different meaning. Thou shalt not kill will have different meanings. Everything's going to be understood on a different level. And that's what it says in Source 38, the Yalkut Shimoni. Hashem will be sitting in Ganadin and elucidating the Torah. They'll all be around Hashem. And it'll all be delivered by who? Al Yideh Mashiach. Wow. It'll be delivered by the Mashiach. And who's going to be that Mashiach? Says the Zohar. And the Pasuk, Lo Yosur, Shevet Yehuda. He says, Do Mashiach ben David. That's the Mashiach ben David. Umechokek ben Raglov. That's the Mashiach ben Yosef. But the last part, Ad Kiyavo Shiloh. That's Moshe. Until Shiloh comes, that's Moshe. Shiloh's Gematria 345. Moshe's 345. What does that mean? Although the Messianic king will be here. Or as it says, the Zohar says in the famous Pasuk, that which was, that will be. Wow. The first letters. No, it's the Gematria 345. It's the same as Moshe. 345. Shiloh's 345. Moshe's 345. Same thing. So, in other words, since Moshe was the first redeemer from Mitzrayim, and he brought the Geula, so now Moshe Rabbeinu is going to, he's, uh, the Orachim HaKadosh says, and the Shem of Mashiach will come both from Moshe and from a descendant of David. And just like Moshe was the redeemer for the first Geula, he's also going to be destined for the second, the last Geula. Moshe received the Torah from us, and there'll be a new Torah that's going to come. Uh, uh, who knows what it is it's going to be a new Torah all based on the Torah we have but when the whole world is at peace it's no more anti-Semitism and the whole world believes in God it's going to be a new age of Torah and this is exactly what Sefer Dvarim is who is saying it? Moshe Rabbeinu it's on Moshe Rabbeinu it's like a new Torah the fifth book is like a new Torah it's now the Torah of Eretz Yisrael. Of course, God says, yes, I still, it's, it's, I'm, I'm okaying it. But it really is coming from Moshe. It's all Moshe. 
Because why? Because when Mashiach comes, that's going to be a new Torah. Just like Moshe gave us the first Torah, he's going to give us the new Torah of a new understanding of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the world. And, uh, and what's so beautiful is Ramban, i got to end with this point, I don't know if there's time for questions. Ramban says a lot of times when there were prophecies, for a prophet to make the prophecy happen, he'd have to do a physical action for the spirituality to um, join it. Uh, certain cases where um, a certain king would be entitled to certain pieces of land, so the Navi drew a picture of Eretz Yisrael and he drew some pictures and he made a thing and he says here, he, he ripped this when he had the Yeruvim uh, Benavot split the, uh, the uh, kingship. The Navi said, you're gonna split it just like I'm splitting this, you're gonna split this. Times Navim would do physical things to play out the prophecy that's coming. So in a certain way, when we start the fifth book of the Torah, this is a physical action of playing out the prophecy. We're playing out the prophecy of Mashiach is going to come. So now Ezra has sulfur. He's the one who decided what parshas we read at what time. So Ezra has sulfur understood that at this time of the year, when we're now really focused on all the sufferings that we've been through, we finished the four books of the Torah. We have to look, Bor Hashem, we finished. We've gone through four exiles and we're still here. We're still learning Torah and how do we survive? Who are the ones that are still here though? Unfortunately, there's a lot of Jews who are not here. Many Jews throughout history, they ain't here. Their children aren't here. Their grandchildren aren't here. You know why? Because they weren't learning these four books. They weren't inoculated to the exile. So if anybody of us uh, that is now finishing the fourth book, we can look back, boy, this, this, uh, this inoculation worked. We're still here, we're still remembering. And then we flip to the fifth book, where Moshe Rabbeinu is now giving us a new Torah, so to speak. And that's telling us there's gonna be a new Torah that we've waited for this time. And that's the comfort for us. And that's, we play it out every year. We hope maybe this year will be the year that the new Torah is really gonna come. So all the parshas fit in perfectly into this. Any questions, comments? I got a couple You said minutes. once you taught us the new Torah is the white one in, inside Sometimes the black. Sometimes the white and the black, that's part of the new Torah. That's parts we don't even understand, the white and the black. That's yeah. part of that as well. So this is a, a parsha. This whole section is like turning the corner, and now you understand what the five books. Why each book is a different message that gets us through the gullus and brings us to Mashiach. Okay. Now you have a whole. And now you got the sheet. You got to remember it. You can keep it. It's a happy one and not hard. Okay. What? Oh, yeah.